0: It's 1607, or maybe two or three, who cares about these darn historical accuracies. Well, at least not Disney, (laughs)
1: as (laughs) it comes painfully clear in today's episode.
0: Yes, it's going to be a very tasty episode tonight. Wingapo or Wingapo, this is the Flick Lab, a weekly film analysis show by two film aficionados looking at one film per week from almost all possible angles which will undoubtedly ring true in this episode. Well, I'm Karri. I graduated from media studies, worked in TV productions for a little bit of time. We love cinema in pretty much all its forms, right? So <clears throat> we consider ourselves quite uncompromising when it comes to the quality, when it comes to the what this show is going to contain. It's going to be honest, it's going to be analytical, hopefully, thorough enough and hopefully concentrated on the movie and less about the last shopping bags that we were carrying home or something like that. Uh, Due to our devotion and educational background, we also want to get some technical stuff out of the way sometimes, yet we also hope that we will give it in a palatable, digestible form to everyone, not forgetting to be a little playful in the process. Anyway... My co-host is a uh, film encyclopedia, as I like to call him sorry, uh, to be Media Pro and known as quite the xenophile.
1: Henrik, how are you? A little terrified at the moment. It, it already sounds so like you are making excuses. Here got the podcast. <laughs> like we, we really love film. and <laughs> we try to look at it as many viewpoints as possible. so please don't hate us.
0: Exactly because this is going to get quite broad as broad as the Atlantic Ocean. Today's adventure takes us to the 17th century Virginia. Well, Henrik, what is your relationship with the Disney animated film Pocahontas?
1: I don't have that much history with with Pocahontas itself. I only seen it once. In its entirety before this episode, of course, I've more or less watched it, would it be like seven times by now, in counting kind of all those times I've seen pieces from here and there. But to talk about seeing the film as to watch it straight from beginning to the end credits, in that sense, this is my second time seeing this film.
0: Was there some nice parent or was it like some kind of a gift or h- how did you come in touch with this? Was it like maybe something that your sisters got as a gift?
1: No, I checked this one in theaters. Like This is, was still the time period when Disney's animated classics as they were branded were a yearly event. And there was a enormous marketing push behind every film. Pocahontas was not an exception. There was pretty much anything you could th- think of was print media-wise was kind of a pushed out in the wake of having this film to the Finnish cinema theatres. There were huge posters in every magazine and the Donald Duck promoted this film when it was coming out. And yeah. o- of course, once the movie came out, there was pretty much every type of Merc you can just think about. There was Pocahontas pencils and Pocahontas erasers and, you know, Barbie dolls. Pocahontas was everywhere. Uh, Pocahontas, uh, McDonald's meals. Yeah, those too. So you could not escape Pocahontas at the time of its release. And we had the tradition in our family that, our mother would take us to cinema to see the yearly Disney animated feature. Nice. So Pocahontas was one of those. And of course, eventually we owned the movie, in a VHS copy, as one does. And it was watched repeatedly in our household after that. But me somehow feeling that something was wrong From the get-go, from the moment I first saw this one in theaters, theaters, I never got that into Pocahontas. And I
0: think this is an issue for some that some people have said that they didn't find enough likable characters in this film, which for me is a shock, but looks like they weren't so successful. Also, when it comes to box office, uh, they were doing The Lion King and Pocahontas at the same time the Disney animators gave uh, more interest to Pocahontas. I believe they got their like top animators and crew for Pocahontas instead because it was considered to be a rather
1: more prestigious project than The Lion King. Yeah, Pocahontas it really was supposed to be the, the Disney film right there in the league with uh, The Beauty and the Beast. Like this was the animated feature that Disney was counting on getting the second Oscar nomination for the company. That's right. Yeah, this was the product where animators and others making the film, they actually begged, they fucking begged, to be removed from Lion King and put into Pocahontas because this was going to be, you know, the rainmaker. For the company and the one that you definitely want to have on your resume and audiovisually through and through it shows there's a lot of beauty to behold at points yeah not entirely pocahontas is in my opinion it's extremely mixed bag for example as you said the visuals
0: okay interesting we will get to this thing my history with pocahontas This is getting to very distant territory, but I actually asked from my mom if she was the one that bought the Pocahontas VHS (laughs) to our home at the time. Uh, It was apparently a Christmas gift in 96, and I remember that we indeed did watch this repeatedly. I've seen it probably countless times when I was 10 and 11 in that ballpark.
1: Yeah, so... This is the episode where we are shooting down our happy childhood memories. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, e- enjoy that process. Well, this
0: is exactly, because I knew that there was something wrong historically. I didn't know that it was going to be uh, quite this bad when it comes to the historical events. But this is the reason why I wanted to see this film before reading anything at all about it. And I can tell you already that I, Cried like a little baby once again. <laughs> this this is the movie that that gets me. Um, it's not so much about even the love story. No, it's about the the freaking incredible visuals that I enjoy in this film. And and and, with the quite dare I say mind blowing soundtrack of Alan Menken, it's just a beauty to behold. That's all I can say at this point. I can't avoid saying it, but it's that's there. It's there trip. I give you that much. Great. Today's drink is red wine, I believe. That's what I have here. My version is semi-sweet rose wine, because that's what I've had here. I actually went through the trouble of getting a corkscrew, finally, after having this drink in the house for like nine months. Now I'm finally drinking it. What about you?
1: I'm actually drinking water. In, oh. Yeah, to celebrate all oh, the many river pains.
0: <laughs> you're, you're drinking water like the... That's, that's impressive. Because I think the colonists were drinking... I hope your water is a little bit cleaner, by the way. But um, if you would go, like, through purist, you would go to the river and take some stilled water and get yourself sick. I hope that's not going to happen.
1: River water is not that bad. Yeah, of course, there's some impurities in it, which, yeah, 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 you can clean off and use iodine pills. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I I, can actually vouch from experience. Drinking it raw won't get you sick if you have the basic, you know, immune system. Unfortunately, we're
0: different times without iodine pills, so anyway... The directors of this movie are Mike Gabriel, Eric Goldberg.
1: They are quite prominent in Disney's repertoire when it comes to directors. They have a interesting resume in the sense that, for example, Gabriel is a guy who has made some of the more impressive Disney features. He was in The Rescuers Down Under, which is the detective hero story that takes place in Australia and has has the mouses fighting against, you know, the voucher. Yeah, Bernard and Bianca. Yeah, precisely that. But at the same time, he has also been in the animation department of Oliver and Company, which upon its release got really mixed reviews. And a lot of people were saying that Oliver and Company was a lesser performance from Disney Company. And it was tired and unimaginative when it came to, you know, animation and the songs.
0: You know what? I think I saw it with a friend long, 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 long time ago as a kid. And what I didn't like about it was the excessive slang language use. Because I, I always respected Disney films and Disney cartoons for, especially in Finland at least, for the very, very, very good use of language. So you wouldn't find a slang language in them. And I'm not the biggest fan.
1: Then again, I actually quite liked the slang language. I'm one of those people who really like Oliver and Company. Okay. Even though the critics were extremely harsh with it and, and have gone on record saying that it's one of the lesser and one of the more tired films from Disney, but I I always like yeah. it. I I, I like the grit of the movie.
0: Yeah, I don't know about tired, but uh, th- that's that was the turning point when the Disney animated were starting to, in my opinion, starting to now include more of this this type of, I guess more. Kid-friendly language,
1: but when it comes to the creators of this film, more than the directors or the writers in this case, I'm actually more interested about the supervising animator Glenn Keane. His later takes, when it comes to presenting and coming to terms with this movie, oh. like we get to these points later on, but many times we have taken a close look at the director of the film. Mm -hmm. And through our actions, we have kind of given the recommendation to our listeners that look what you can find on director. And in this case, more than actually recommending that our listeners would take a close eye on the directors or the writers, I actually would recommend that you take a closer eye to Glen Keane Because I think that you find him more interesting than the directors. The main
0: cast is Irene Bedard. She's playing the voice of Pocahontas. She's known for Into the West and Lakota Woman. Uh, This is like an indigenous people-related movie. There's uh, Judy Kuhn, Pocahontas' singing voice, known for Day on Fire and Enchanted. Then there is John Smith, Mel Gibson, of course, known for obvious movies like Braveheart. Ransom, science, all kinds of eternal classics. Um, you
1: somehow completely missed Lethal Weapon.
0: Well, there's that. Uh,
1: like, you know, that was the one I was expecting you to name drop here.
0: <laughs> and grandmother Willow, Linda Hunt. Her movies include such classics as The Year of Living Dangerously and Silverado. And then there is Thomas, played by a not so well known person at the time uh, quite young i believe 21 at the time christian bale known for of course batman american psycho
1: the notion that you can actually completely miss christian bale in this movie unless you know that he's voice acting thomas you know you really can't pick christian bale from the audio track here no couldn't say mm. how young he was 21 we we are still talking about a guy who got into acting as a child actor. Mm-hmm. Extremely capable child actor at that. Bale was someone who could pull some serious jobs when it's going to acting and give very strong performances, even as a kid. The
0: beginning phases of this film start with the research phase, pretty much. And Peter Schneider had been developing an animated version of Romeo and Juliet, and observed that uh, there were similarities between that and uh, Gabriel's uh, Pocahontas pitch. And uh, Snyder recalled that, quote, We were particularly interested in exploring the theme of if we don't learn to live with one another, we will destroy ourselves. So uh, this is clearly a, a very central part of the movie's symbolism. And there was also lots of worry about the political correctness aspect, uh, lots of executive interference and some conflict with the animators about the direction that this film would take. They took a trip to Jamestown Settlement, uh, Pamunkey Indian Reservation. They did a bunch of interviews at Old Dominion University. There's some interesting stories how the indigenous people or the Native Americans reacted to Contributing to this movie. They were split. There are some split
1: opinions about this. Oh yeah. Is there ever? Yeah. I mean, yeah. This was a bomb. Right into the Disney's face. Which they really did not see coming. Well, there are even
0: further historically related movies. There's Mulan and I hope they learned their lesson from Pocahontas. In the- <laughs> oh,
1: that's a hard oh, life. fucking god, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they sure did, yeah. <laughs> <But> like,
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, yeah I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know, I know. It's it's a (laughs) oh my fucking god! Uh, Yeah, Yeah, you really have to, really have to ask yourself how fucking headstrong can Disney be? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the one of the more interesting and baffling notions when it comes to Pocahontas is the fact how little how absolutely abysmally little, Disney was ready to actually learn from Pocahontas.
0: And just the fact of calling it Pocahontas is very interesting choice because, like I've said a couple of times before when discussing this, I mean, they could have just based this movie uh, vaguely on the setting of the Virginia colony and Some of the elements of the Pocahontas story based vaguely on Pocahontas, but just they should have given it some kind of original name, in my opinion, and they should have changed the names completely.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Like the problem here is not the Pocahontas character or, you know, going back to the story of Pocahontas, what I would say is the problem and what really came into Disney's face and. What they refused to learn from the experience is all tied to how they actually used the material. Yeah, mixing it completely
0: up. Uh, The story supervisor and uh, historical consultant Tom Sito was quite under fire after he had done considerable research on this, the early colonial ages, and agreed to do a story that is riddled with historical inaccuracies. And then there is uh, the story supervisor Tom Sido in another situation. He was involved in the relation of John Smith and Pocahontas, uh, was confronted about it. There was some native opposition, as I mentioned. Russell Means was cast as the chief poet, and, and you can hear him in the final product, though he initially expressed displeasure with the script in the sense that Native Americans addressed each other using proper names instead of a traditional way of addressing such as my father or, or my friend. But oh, my friends, this is like the tip of the iceberg. A Descendant of the Powhatan Indians, Castelo McGowan, she offered consulting for the film and found out later that the movie would not be striving for historical accuracy and has said that she wished her name wasn't on it. And uh, then there is um, the thing that maybe the physical features of Pocahontas weren't exactly like of a beautiful princess. But this, this is hard to verify because we have one fuzzy drawing of Pocahontas from a long time ago.
1: Then again, a fact that is much more easier to confirm is that the age difference between Pocahontas and John Smith was Uh 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 extremely considerable and they toned down the age difference greatly in the final product or the final film by making Pocahontas way more older. But that still is not completely unproblematic when it comes to the sexualization of Pocahontas in this film. Well, it's not necessarily...
0: That bad, though, it's quite socially not so acceptable. Pocahontas did marry this Englishman, John Rolfe, when she was 17 years of age.
1: Yeah, she did. But that marriage came way after she was originally being captured by the English during the Anglo-Indian hostilities in, was it? year before. yeah. So so, so basically the first contact, the the opportunity for her to enter marriage would first come up when she was 16. Mm. It is, of course, two different things to be held captive by the English and during that time converting to Christianity and actually marrying someone. Well, she was 16 when the path which led her to Rolf was laid out, the captivity, and even not counting in that, the more problematic part here is that it was years before that. It was. Yeah. When she first met John Smith, you know, the event that is being portrayed here in the film, that was 1607. She would have been... Way be, under she, age.
0: Way, way, way under age. So if anything romantic started at this point, then yeah, that's getting definitely to the creepy area. So yeah. uh, Pocahontas and, was at the time 7, 8 or 9 in that ballpark.
1: And now here on this film, not only is Pocahontas portrayed extremely sexualized, there is also the whole love story. Granted, yeah, they did make Pocahontas older kind of removing the age difference but when you compare the film to the real story you, you can't escape doing that yeah I don't see it as a
0: big problem factor in the sense that they have already turned this story so much upside down that it's really its own story but to put the Pocahontas title on it that makes it a problem
1: I would say putting the title Pocahontas in it is the lesser of all evils here. What's the problem then? The problem comes with the story that this film tells. The attempt to rewrote the history when it comes to the whole kind of a colonialization of America.
0: And therefore, in my opinion, it is a problem to use the title Pocahontas because it's rewriting the history as you said. And if we would give respect to this original person, then we would not make it to be such a simple love story
1: it's uh, rewriting one person's love story with the name of pocahontas or you know one person's story but that's not the only story they are rewriting here they are also rewriting the Mm. indigenous people the politics behind pocahontas pretty complex like originally of course pocahontas was going to be way more accurate to the historical events to the point where Pocahontas would have been portrayed at her right age.
0: I guess there is evidence of that because they did this research trip and they, they did a countless of interviews. It's are, just that in the, the same process they realized that, oh, this is something like probably that they thought that it's not very marketable as it is. So they made a whole lot of changes.
1: There are even, you know, old storyboards showing the more realistic... And the more historically accurate version okay. of the story. Like, there, there is evidence that this was going to be pushed. And I would say that that is the project that a lot of the Native American voice actors signed up on originally as consultants. Yeah. And uh, stuff like that. So, since you mentioned that some of the crew wish that they would be removed from the actual film Pocahontas and do not want their name attached to this film. Mm. I believe that those original plans, the original storyboards and the film behind them is the one that, you know, these persons signed themselves up with. But then again, during the production, Jeffrey Katzenberg started his very strong push to change Pocahontas pretty much because of The Beauty and the Beast. And, yeah yeah, yeah, and the Oscar nomination that that film had gotten, and Katzenberg wanted to have Disney's second go at Oscar nomination, and Pocahontas went through considerable rewrites and considerable push to change it to make sure that you know the Oscar nomination would once again be there, and of course, there is also the Disney product angle here which most likely was the second motive for Katzenberg to start force these changes into the original plans of the story.
0: Yeah, the Pocahontas story in itself is extremely interesting, but I can totally understand that it's not something that can be made into an easily chewable form for children. Therefore, why even start to make something that is Pocahontas? Well, you can take elements of it, make it your own. You could have done that, but uh, no. And Glenn Keane also said that, quote, we had a choice of being historically accurate or socially responsible, so we chose the socially responsible side, end quote. Which they by... were
1: not in the end. Yeah, actually. Yeah. It is extremely problematic. <sighs> yeah, like I said, I'm... Um, this
0: movie would have a whole lot less baggage and a whole lot more appreciation if it just went by going with another name, slightly even more changed storyline than this here. They could have done changes to call the Hireen and character something else and claimed that it was inspired by Pocahontas or the Virginian
1: colony. And I, I would say that we would still be in a heap of trouble here. Okay. I guess we will learn about it more very soon. There was one
0: supporting voice, at least, from the Native Americans' indigenous peoples' side. Activist Russell Means, who portrays uh, the Pohatan, he did praise the film's uh, racial overtones, saying that Pocahontas is the first time an Eurocentric male society has admitted its historical deceit. Uh, end quote. Yeah, 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 to an extent. Except there are problems. They could have gone all the way. I, again, understand that it's a children's movie, but um, yeah, that that's what makes it, this movie so complicated.
1: Yeah, and, you know, when it comes to Russell Means, uh, even he couldn't escape the outcome of Pocahontas. Russell Means is extremely prominent Native American activist. You can have many opinions about Means and his work on activism, and many people do, and not to go there here on this podcast, but yeah, he's a prominent figure in the activist circles. And many of his old compatriots were extremely disappointed with Means when he signed up to do Pocahontas, even though Means did go to a record and say that he did voice act for to help the activist movement. If I remember correctly, he did say something along the lines that He did not sell out the activist movement, but instead he brought Hollywood into the movement. By taking part in Pocahontas, but many, many of, you know, his compatriots did not buy this and have considered means as a traitor to the cause. Oh, wow.
0: There are multiple ways to look at it. In one sense, it is driving some indigenous issues to a better standing, but then there are the historical issues. It's a mixed bag. I wouldn't condemn him in any ways, but of course I can't see it necessarily from the indigenous, more rich kind of perspective regarding this type of issues, but uh, I don't think this is hurting the film or the message.
1: I I would say it hurts the film and its message incredibly a lot. Okay. Or not means. I'm not pinning this on means in any way but the messages this movie carries with it. Those are my main sticking points. Yeah. When it comes to what goes behind the film, I also have a lot of problems with the film itself as an animated feature.
0: Well, let's talk about our animated feature. The movie begins in England, and in the first five seconds we have uh, historical inaccuracies already. Of course, this is just trying to make it again more palatable. But the song begins with it's 1607 when it's actually 1606. But um, then we get to the harbor. In actual matter, there are three ships that leave the port. Small ships. And John Smith is doing superhero stuff. Any comments on
1: that? Well, you know, what else would a character was acted by Mary Gibson be doing? Absolutely, and
0: of yeah. course, I mean they ha- they have to give some kind of idea of this character and what that he is heroic. And this is one way to put it.
1: Uh, uh, John Smith is something, and he's many things. He's in this film. John Smith is basically a Pathfinder, a captain of a ship, a superhuman, and somewhere along the lines, he's a massacre spewing psychopath. Just <laughs> si- simply uh, uh, by looking how extremely eager he is to go and kill all the fucking savages. as he, I know. He calls them like, holy it's fucking m- shit, you know, our hero. Yeah, yeah but th- th- that
0: was the attitudes of the time. But I believe it might not have actually been the opinions of the original John Smith even. Uh, of course, again, this is making it more contrasted because it is a children's movie so what are you expecting at the same time though it opens the problems Like first he's very excited to get killing some Indians as he says and then when he gets there he's absolutely stunned by this beautiful Pocahontas and he turns his ship turns the course of the ship figuratively speaking completely
1: yep yep and there, there is the extremely, you know, since you brought this point up, I myself was prepared that we get into these waters a little bit later. But it's once again, looking at the sexism in Pocahontas, it's, it's, it's extremely kind of funny and troubling at the same time. With uh, John Smith's remarks at the beginning of the film, how he's willing to kill the savages if they are uh, like the savages I have fought before or somewhere along the line. I can't remember the exact quote, but as the movie progresses, it becomes obvious that these savages that John Smith meets in the film are clearly completely different kind of savages. John wants to stick his John Smith in them as it goes down. Um,
0: Well, they might have been different also in, uh, in other senses because John Smith was not in the Americas before this event. He was fighting in several occasions and also he was captured. But these events all took place around Europe. I'm not aware of any other American adventures prior to Virginia by John Smith.
1: Yeah, not by actual John Smith necessarily. Right, right. Then again, again, the film itself makes a different point with John Smith going on and on about how he has met savages, how he has seen all these Was the count one hundred new words <laughs> before you know the new word they find <laughs> in in Pocahontas? Yeah, so right. Yeah, so going by movies, John Smith's statements, you get the impression that he is a mercenary who has fought Indians before. Isn't he only talking about savages? Well, it doesn't matter so much. No, no, no. He he does talk only about savages, but in a way that gives out the impression that what he means by savages is, is Indian. Native American people, because he does bring out the points how he knows how to act with these Native Americans and what to expect from them through his previous encounters with savages. And savages is the, you know, go-to term when describing Native Americans in this film. And John Smith himself goes to the lengths where he cause Pocahontas as people, savages, and then tries to make it up with, you know, yeah, yeah, but, you know, they, they are different type of savages. You, you guys are not savages. Yeah,
0: it's not a good word to be used. I can imagine why Pocahontas would be pissed off hearing
1: this. Uh, yeah, but, you know, the way they use the word savages, even though the movie does not tell you where John Smith's previous exploits have been but the way how John Smith and everybody else talks about savages and new worlds and all this stuff it does kind of uh, give you the impression that John Smith has been fighting Native Americans previously.
0: Perhaps or just some savages in Europe. Pocahontas titles come on and we have again really good music accompanying this moment and we get to see the natives doing their things and we are introduced to the characters. Then we get to a point what you probably want to talk something about, Pocahontas jumping, the impossible jump from the waterfall.
1: Oh well I don't have that much problem with yeah. with Pocahontas's jump. Me neither. I mean sure it's you know it would be lethal in real life. But in this heap, I'm kind of a forgiving.
0: Yeah, there's so many more things to care about.
1: Yeah. Then again, you know, since we brought the leap and the water and all this up, and in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 episode, in which, Curry you went on and told in length about your love of cliches. My love of so cliches? Your love of cliches. So how do you fare, you know with all this original content that you can see in Pocahontas, where you have new, completely new concepts like water as a metaphor for being free or wind as a metaphor for spirit. Any thoughts on that? You know,
0: well, I didn't really pay attention to those things. Of course, these ripple things are so cliches in our language. The main points why I, like many parts of this movie is just the certain flow that it has it always goes forward in a satisfying pace it doesn't feel slow to me in places and it has music that perfectly happens to be in conjunction with the images and the animation that they really took great care of it's a visual feast to the eyes uh, it's also beautiful to listen to it's just these mere facts alone that make me appreciate a lot what we, I see here.
1: Okay. Because what I see is using crossroads as a metaphor for trying to make your mind. <laughs> Completely new concept here.
0: No. I mean, of course I... <laughs> of course I know that this movie has many types of problems, mainly the historical problems. And it is a very big problem for my brain because the childhood me absolutely loves this movie now that i saw it before my complete historical checks i enjoyed it immensely like you said we are destroying our childhood here yeah it's it's a kind of a mind really at the end of the day you have to kind of decide which part you're going to care more about the historical inaccuracies or the visual and audio visual feast that we have here and since we're talking about audiovisual products in each episode, this gives a kind of a headway for that side of the coin, so to speak. But these are incredibly problematic things, and it's going to keep uh, splitting my brain in this episode as we move forward. Hey, we're talking about the audio and music, so you might as well tell your thoughts on audio and music. We have Alan Menken doing most of the music there was another person also helping with the songs And Alan Menken is known for Beauty and the Beast of course, and Aladdin and Hunchback of Notre Dame uh, the most known song from this film is Colors of the Wind first song to be written for the film they insisted that the song should help like define the film's heart and soul, and that it does that it does it's like a music video that you're watching right there There is one song that they left out in the final version. It's a love song titled If I Never Knew You. It was like 90% finished in animation, but following a test screening where younger audiences were not interested in it, they decided to remove it. And that was a good decision, as we can see, because the next song would have been coming in the next five minutes after this. So tonally, it would have been a problematic choice. So, any thoughts on music?
1: Like with visuals, it's a mixed bag for me. There are good songs. Since you mentioned, it, The Colors of the Wind is, in my opinion, the best song of this film. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, for example, What Lies Behind the River Band. Or that, yeah. Yeah. I don't get the appeal. Of the River Band? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh- in my opinion, it's. It lacks something, you know. Like the chorus. Is, is the strongest part. And even in there, I've met stronger choruses.
0: Actually, I love the
1: Riverband song. Uh, uh, yeah, in my opinion, it loses the many parts in that song where it loses the spirit that it has during the chorus. There, you know, the song tempo drops down. The ending of the song is
0: the quiet part and then it just kind of ends.
1: Yeah, yeah, but there are, you know, there are there are these more slower, more quiet parts throughout the song. Yeah, so here you get, you know, if you have the DVD on your hand, like I do, because, you know, once again for our listeners, we do actually keep the movie rolling on our screens during recordings of these episodes, precisely for moments like this. So, take your film to the 12 minutes and 50 seconds mark fine moment like there is the energy yeah
0: i know there's, there's the energy and then there's the slow part and it ends
1: yeah there is 13 minutes and six seconds in yeah yeah and comes the longer moment where the song loses me when she looks at the water at her reflection is that it no, it's she's looking at the camera to give you the line. You know, she sings for me, the tempo drops on for me when you compare that to the previous chorus of What's Behind the River Band.
0: Okay, well, you got really deep into the tempo then,
1: but yeah, well, you know, that's what you do in this podcast,
0: yeah, of course, you do. And I will, and, I yeah, will tell and... you right now that the my favorite moment of this movie is when Pocahontas. Is singing the slowest tempo part of the song And thinking which part of the river she would take And there are these lyrics that really, like really resonate with me And it makes me wonder if this was something that made something change in my early development Because it says Should I choose the smoothest course Steady as the beating drum Should I marry Coco Is all my dreaming at an end or do you still wait for me, dream giver, just around the riverbend? And that kind of reflects on my life, because uh, as as everybody knows, I'm here in great old Poland. I'm the traveler spirit type, and I've always kind of fought against uh, the formal world. So that's my moment of this movie.
1: Okay, I really do not get into what's behind the riverbend.
0: That's fine. So we can talk about Colors of the Wind. I guess you like that, though.
1: That I like. And that's the song that you know comes to my mind when I think about Pocahontas. Same here. Same here. Yeah. Of course, once again, to our listeners, we are at the point here and we might have actually addressed this later on here on this episode, which is the dubbing. Because I, myself, and I would believe that also you originally heard this in Finnish dub that's absolutely correct yeah and now at at this point ever since the dvd version came out we have also had the chance to to listen the original english dub and watch the movie with that but once again since childhood was brought up the childhood and the that original connection we have with the film is through the finished dub.
0: yeah this is the same thing that happens to me every time i look at Disney movies or other dubbed animated movies with the original voices after having grown up with the Finnish versions, I cannot connect with the movie and it it feels wrong. And actually some of the Finnish voice actors, they have received praise and awards for being the best dub. For example, I think Aladdin was the one where they chose the Finnish dub as the best dub that there is. Yeah, so we have a lot of talent there. We definitely do. And if I look at this dub and the finished dub, that it's so long times. I, I did check out some of the finished dubs on YouTube for the songs, but um as far as the film is concerned, it's so long since I've seen it. There were some awkward moments here and there. But um, again here, the songs by sung by Arya Korisava as pocahontas are absolutely absolutely great. And I would say that many of the timings in the songs are much better than what we have here.
1: Yeah. I, I and have the a,
0: lyrics are great.
1: Yeah, I have an upper hand on you here probably because living in Finland the copy I get into my hands of course is the Finnish release. You're right. Which has, has the English and the Finnish dub. So I yeah. was able to watch the full movie with both dubs. As I did. Oh, wow. But, uh, you watch it twice. Yeah, back wow. to back. Wow. To kind of a compare the two dubs.
0: See, see the devotion for the podcast here,
1: listeners. Yeah. And my take is that the Finnish dub is superior here. I like it more. For example, Radcliffe, who originally was voice acted by David Otkin Steers. And we have Veiko Honkanen. I actually like Honkanen better in Radcliffe's role. I think there's bluntness to Vacos' voice that David does not quite bring out. And for example, when he calls Thomas an idiot after the misfire or during the song Savages, Savages and the talking parts leading to that song, I, I think that Honkanen... He has something. There is there's, yeah, yeah. there's
0: roughness. There is. I, I remember that much. And uh, is it? The line is something like, you have been a terrible soldier. And in Finnish version, I think it was easy to remember. Because he's kind of rolling the R there. Isn't that right? Surkea sotilas. Or something.
1: Yeah, he, he does. And I like that. With John Smith, I think Sandrikin does as good job as Mel Gibson. I can't say that one is better than the other. I think they are equal. And with Pocahontas, I just, you know, I get more out of Arya Koriseva than Irene Bedard.
0: Yeah. Oh. I didn't notice the difference between the singer voice and the actual voice in the English version. But <laughs> it, it pro- probably can be heard when you pay attention to it. In the Finnish version, we have maybe the advantage that Aria is doing all of Pocahontas.
1: Yeah, there is no switch between, you know, the one that does the dialogue and the one yeah. that does the singing.
0: And I know to our listeners, Aria Korisave is actually a pretty famous Finnish singer. Also a
1: teacher. In Finland, if you're a movie star, so you have a fucking second job. Yeah. So, yeah, this ain't no Hollywood. Yeah. But I, I do like Aria's versions of the songs better. I. They flow better. They flow better. And and for example, the choruses, she gets this kind of a spike, this energetic spike, you know, to, to her voice, which really ups the level of the songs for me. Yeah. When the singing gets really excited
0: around the chorus, it's more powerful than the English one.
1: It is. Even though I do like the lyrics better in the English versions, at some points,
0: uh, Usually the English ones turn, turn out better just because of the fact that they can still animate and make changes there. But w- once you start dubbing in Finnish, the mouth movements, for example, are locked. The melody is locked. Then you just have to kind of try your very very best to make an amazing Disney song in Finnish.
1: Yeah. Also the lines. Both versions of the songs are pretty equal. There are some lines that speak to me more in the English versions. For example, in The Colors of the Wind, the second verse has this line, the earth is just a death thing you can claim. And the Finnish version is, "Valtat nimiin kaiken minkä And I think the English line is better. The earth is just a death thing that you can claim. I like it better. I think there's more bluntness to the words. But still, it's always Virtamine via to me. Not what lies behind the River Bend.
0: Yeah, about the Colors of the Wind, there is this line when Pocahontas looks up into the sky to see the star formation. And in the Finnish version, there's something about uh, the Iso Julehach or something like that. I, I thought that it was really good.
1: It was. It, it, it was.
0: Because I think there are some lyrics that are very. They make a great use of Finnish language. and I, I think there are some kind of old-fashioned words to kind of put it to a next level.
1: They do. It is enjoyment to actually hear, especially those old Finnish, or I don't know, old, but not so often used. Yeah, yeah.
0: And do you know how, how much this speaks volumes about the songs and the performance? Because usually when you watch an animated movie, what happens most of the time? Well, you could say that you feel embarrassed listening to it, but here it's not the case. I would say even throughout there are no awkward moments, and the songs fit very well in between because they tie it to the next events, and it's just not some random nonsense in between.
1: There is a reason for those songs. That it is. This was uh, Pagoda still came out during the high peak. Of Disney animated films and the Finnish dubbing scene, which we had and which was incredibly strong in my opinion. Yes, uh,
0: likewise Aladdin and The Lion King dubbings in Finnish are are really they're really good, and I I'm still arguing that the Scar actor in Lion King in Finnish is superior to the original just
1: yeah, no yeah, questions it, asked no no, no question about that Jukka Pekka Polo yeah. really knocks the character out of the park
0: yeah. yeah just special props for Edita Gurniak who did the Polish singing Pocahontas this might be equal to the quality of the Finnish version or m- maybe even better but it's kind of hard to comment on it
1: What what, what is this heresy against Arya?
0: It's not heresy against Arya, but you can go listen to the Polish versions and also here in the chorus there are really strong voice performance, just like Arya. Thank you, Cinkuier Edita Gorniak, great stuff. Grandmother Willow, any thoughts on this character? She was brought in as some kind of a mother figure that was previously lacking
1: in the script. Yeah, Grandmother Willow is is something. I have a bunch of problems with Grandmother Willow.
0: Yeah, there are moments where I like her, but I uh, also kind of see that she also appears in one of the weakest parts of the film.
1: The puns they gave her, in my opinion, are fucking terrible. Once again, you know, Disney trying to elevate the happenings by inserting comedy does not work at all. And by the way, in Finnish, it works even less.
0: Or can you find anything that can be considered even a pun in Tässä jo sappikiehu, or what is the line? And what is it in English? When Grandmother Willow picks up Percy by the branches.
1: I, that, I know the, yeah. the scene you are talking about, but can't remember the exact line. Tässä jo
0: sappikiehu. There's absolutely nothing that relates to the tree, as in, in the English
1: version, perhaps. Uh, that it is. The kind of attempts at puns are more obvious in the English version. For example, the line my bark is worse than my bite or something along those lines. But to me it, it tells a lot about Grandmother Willow that there is actual scene of her, you know, dropping one of her puns and right after that it cuts to the two owls sitting on a tree branch, which look at each other unimpressed.
0: (laughs) Somebody somebody used it in a YouTube review and said afterwards that, yeah, I'm supposed to be like the owls of this movie.
1: Uh, Yeah. Someone took time to animate that scene and it speaks wonders about Grandmother Willow and basically everything they do with the character. Even the film knows that Grandmother Willow does not work. Yeah, there was
0: earlier thoughts that they would use some kind of a spirit in the sky type of thing that they already used it for Lion King, but because they knew that they already use it there, they had to pick something else. So unleash Grandmother Willow. And there is also the leaves, which possibly are related directly to Grandmother Willow. Are they Grandmother Willow's leaves? I am not certain.
1: It's hard to...
0: But there is a comment that the leaves are supposed to be part of the motherly spirit, or the spirit of Pocahontas' mother.
1: And there is at least partly, kind of a... There are kind of a clues to that, partly how Grandmother Willow operates throughout the film. Like, it's made clear that she can control the whole tree, which comes to play when John Smith's two friends come looking for him when he's meeting Pocahontas. And the grandmother willow rises one of her roots to tackle the two and then uses one of her wines to have this whiplash, which drives the two away, running back to the camp. Also, The fact that every time magic is introduced in the film, the leaves are brought in.
0: For me, the fact that the two guys came, or what I consider to be seeing from all the earlier scenes, what I consider to be deep in the woods, I thought it was abysmal that they would find their way right there, like many kilometers away in the middle of nowhere, in the secret location.
1: It is, especially taking a note how secret the location appears to be even to the Native Americans themselves. Uh Because from their group, Pocahontas is the only one who is ever shown being with grandmother Willow. She's the only one that communicates with the tree, which once again makes the point on Cocoon not noticing a giant talking tree right next to him.
0: I like the voice performance, but just that uh, we have this kind of a really fantastical character that also John Smith is able to see. Kind of, uh, just for a split second, <laughs> might um, change my enjoyment of the moment.
1: John Smith being able to communicate with Grandmother Willow really f- actually does piss me off. <laughs> because, yeah, I hate Grandmother Willow character. Okay but till that point you could kind of make the argument that grandmother willow is is not really there that it's just you know a form of mental illness in pocahontas because <laughs> it is confirmed that grandmother willow does speak to pocahontas as as she did speak to her mother pocahontas and her dead mother are the only two characters up until that point wow. that have actually been confirmed that they can talk to Grandmother Willow. Pocahontas's father shows nowhere near the tree throughout the film. No one in the tribe acknowledges Grandmother Willow at no point of the film, to a point where even Pocahontas, when she tries to affect the tribe, does not actually mention Grandmother Willow. Yeah, so going with that... To me, the first take about Grandmother Willow was that she's not real, and it's just a form of mental illness for Pocahontas and her mother. But that kind of a does not hold water from the moment on when John Smith is able to see and communicate with her. Yeah, I know. But maybe you can
0: think of Grandmother Willow also uh, as some kind of a, maybe it's a, well, yeah, you, you know, John Smith ruins this idea. But before John Smith comes to say hello to Grandmother Willow, up to that point, you could make the case that Grandmother Willow is maybe just Pocahontas inside her head, seeking advice from her spirit mother, in the sense that she's probably thinking, what would my mother do in this situation? But this breaks this theory completely. Yeah, but it's Disney, you know, there
1: has to be magical stuff. It's Disney. You you need a grandmother character that has special powers mm-hmm. and is weirdly interested about completely regular things happening in dreams. When Pocahontas goes to Grandmother Willow to describe her dream, Grandmother Willow is extremely interested on Pocahontas' dream. And when she makes the notion that in her dream there is this spinning arrow, Grandmother Willow is immediately like, a spinning arrow? How unusual. Yeah. And you are just like, it's it's a fucking dream, you know, that there's spinning arrows basically always, unless you are having some kind of inception dream, in which case it's trains going through the city center. But, you know, spinning yeah. arrow in a dream is not that unusual. <laughs> and, and, and yet here we have Grandmother Willow being like, oh, yes, please, child, tell me more. Yeah, but
0: also Grandmother Willow, like you said, she ignores this spinning arrow or she says that it's something unusual. But then as the movie progresses, Pocahontas by herself decides that this is the, the pointer from my dream. But then Grandmother Willow does support that statement and says that follow your dream or your pointer and get out of here and save john smith or something to that effect
1: and that's and i all i do find that moment extremely troubling
0: it's troubling perhaps if you let it be troubling if you're looking for loopholes
1: like we love to do in this podcast no i find it troubling in a sense that it's kind of a teaching moment for the younger audiences and the lesson taught here... Follow broken compasses. <laughs> actually, you have an obligation to clean other people's messes. It's kind of a wrong lesson to be given to young children.
0: Oh no, here we go again. What? This is aching into the H 2 conversation, right? In H 1, I believe.
1: Uh, what Rob do you Zombie. mean?
0: Well, during Rob Zombie we were talking about... You were on the side that it's not important to help people in need if it's not affecting your life, right? Mm-hmm. Along the lines of that. No, no. I, 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 was, same... I
1: was that it is important to help people in need, but I, my take is that that decision is based on feeling-based. Yeah, right, right. Decision-making. It's not rational. Are you making some kind of a segue here to Grandmother Willow? No, actually. My okay. point here was or or the route I'm taking here, is that there is another movie from Disney that has, if you forget the love story aspect stolen from Romeo and Juliet, other than that, it bears incredible resemblance to Pocahontas. And that film is Moana, which pretty much takes its basic structure And many of its plot points from Pocahontas. Or they share the same plot structure and same plot points.
0: No surprise there. There's so many Disney animated movies already.
1: Yeah, and this structure is pretty much the classic Disney. In in Pocahontas, Disney is copying itself and its its style Mm. of telling stories very closely And extremely lot to a point where Pocahontas is basically just a collection of Disney cliches.
0: Not necessarily in the sense that this is the first Disney character that is not like the princesses of the past. She
1: actually... Communicates with animals.
0: Communicates with animals, yes. But uh, here she has more of a free spirit, if, if you could use that term. Compared to something of the likes of Cinderella. So, or uh, the Snow White. That's appreciated.
1: There again, there again, she has exactly as much free spirit as Ariel in The Little Mermaid. And like Ariel, Pocahontas' biggest plot point in the movie is that she falls head over heels for the first white man she comes in contact with.
0: <laughs> Love at first sight. Yep. Any thoughts on this scene, by the way? I'm not now at this scene and it's constructed I, pretty well.
1: I think it's extremely cliche once again. It has good animation and it's nice to look. And I like the point that just before the first glance, John Smith is actually about to cap her in the back of the head with his rifle mm. and just shooting her brains out. There is mean spiritness in that notion, which I appreciate, but other than that, you know, it's basically what you have seen one way or the other.
0: It's an interesting thought if you would replace Pocahontas with anyone else, say that Coco would have been there. Well, Coco is so aggressive that it would have been a mess, but let's say it's a, somebody collected. <laughs> let's say it's, that's the chief Bohatan. Uh, what would be the outcome? Would john smith just be a complete idiot and shoot the leader of the whole tribe
1: i would say that if john smith would be aiming at anyone else than someone who is as sexy as pocahontas and who does not have that ass that you ha- get when pocahontas first time um, uh, in to see the incoming ships in that case john smith would shoot the pastor dead right then and there
0: Are you saying that you're closing the door to the possibility that John Smith might have a thing for Pohatan?
1: I say that Disney closes that door immediately by the level of queer coding that goes to the Radcliffe.
0: Well, you mean that he's kind of this obnoxious, super masculine person?
1: John Smith or Radcliffe? Both. Radcliffe
0: plays... He plays very masculine.
1: A lot of tropes in his visual presentation that animated features kind of take on as feminine and in this sense queer. This is something that Mm. animated movies like to do pretty much with their bad guys. They like to give them these queer elements. Yeah,
0: to kind of confuse the crowd, make them maybe feel uneasy, which is probably a not a good thing to say in 2018, but I think that's what they might be doing here. Yeah, You might be onto something.
1: I don't even know if it's intentional at this point. Cinema actually has a hell of a long history. With this presentation, it goes as long as the silent film era. Yeah, yeah. It's a trope old as time. <laughs> but I'm willing to give... Everyone at Disney uh, benefit of a doubt here and just say that they didn't even notice the whole thing. Queer coding was not even a thing in academia as far as I've understood when Pocahontas came out. I'm not completely sure here, but it still does not change the fact that that's what happens with Radcliffe.
0: If we talk about the uh, meeting of John Smith and Pocahontas still a little bit, I like that Pocahontas is keeping her composure here. Unlike John Smith, surprised about the majestic beauty of Pocahontas, but where, whereas Pocahontas is remaining calm. And uh, it doesn't make it such a cliche in that sense. You are right
1: there! But at the same time, it's just one aspect of a scene, it's just Pocahontas holding her composure.
0: In a later sequence, when they are, have kind of had their moment together, she tries to escape, but John Smith comes to the scene and tries to prevent her from going. And he says something like, I'm not letting you leave. This uh, felt uneasy. But we have to remember, this is, of course, trying to portray 17th century. So, men still rule it the is, world.
1: It's trying to portray a world where there is talking trees. <laughs> At least the animals are not talking. And let's talk about non-talking animals.
0: Because... There was a one review that uh, this person was not happy about the fact that in the movie Pocahontas there are not talking animals. Now, wow, that that would be a problem, because in The Lion King it works because these are all animals that are interacting together. And as we have seen many times in the movies where you have animals and humans, it is usually the case, I believe also in this uh, Oliver and Company, that the humans do not understand anything that Oliver and Company are saying. But in the animals universe, they completely understand each other. And I think that works much better than Pocahontas having a chat with a raccoon. So, granted, this is a different situation than Oliver and Company because there, the main characters are actually animals. But here you don't need to hear the animals. And if you did, I would make the case that it would be really, really, really distracting. And just... Unnecessary. This movie is about human interaction.
1: With a talking tree in it. Uh, with a talking in, tree. <laughs> with, yeah, which gives extremely troubling life lessons. <laughs> like, I like to... The... With, with,
0: with, with a talking tree that, though, is like a human-like character, I think. That's the intention, because it's a motherly spirit.
1: Yeah, nobody knows what the intention is with grandmother Willow. But to close on my point with her life lessons. In Moana, there is also this same kind of scene as in Pocahontas, where the main character has noticed that the situation is bigger than she is, and she's ready to give up and just thinks that she does not have the strength. She's now at the low point of her story. And during that time, the spirit grandmother appears. In Pocahontas, it's it's the grandmother Willow in Moana. It's her grandmother's forest coast, hmm. or something like that. And they come to give the pep talk to the main character. In Moana, her grandmother tells her that Moana can back off from the quest that she is on. Like it's okay. Her grandmother would love her, nevertheless. And her grandmother actually says that it was wrong of her. To push this journey on to Moana and expect her to fix the situation that she was at wrong here. She should not have done that. And that gives Moana the chance where she can make that decision freely with a complete blessing of her spirit grandmother. Just go home or then continue the quest and try to to save the day if she chooses. But she's completely free at that point, you know. Just admit her defeat and go back home. And it's completely okay. But the way how Grandma Willow breaks the news is that Pocahontas is obligated to follow the path and go to the end and fix the situation which has been caused by basically everyone else except her. Necessarily risk her life to end the conflict that has been brought up by others. I don't think that it's good to actually give a life lesson that it's your solemn duty to wipe everybody else's buttholes. And that's what I find troubling in, in Grandmother Willow.
0: <clears throat> Henrik, 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 Henrik. You just have to listen with your heart and you will understand.
1: As that is, and. I, I have listened with my heart and what I've understood is that would I be given the opportunity, it would be my duty to take a flavor thrower and just, you know, <laughs> torch Grandmother Willow out of existence. I had a, a short flash of Lieutenant Tripley doing that. Uh, she would do that. <laughs> given the same situation, she would not take that shit from any talking team. Like, she would just, she would torch Grandmother Willow.
0: <laughs> Apart from, or maybe including, Grandmother Willow, Henrik. How did this film affect you as a child? Any adverse effects? I remember getting very emotional when watching this film. Uh, this is definitely a common societal male problem. We are not often allowed to show our, our deeper emotions. Yeah. And that's what you gotta do. If you pop on a Pocahontas or any other Disney film, do not cry. Because then you have lost the masculinity game.
1: On my part, Pocahontas did not have that strong effect on me. It did not affect on me when I saw this movie. There uh, are the tear moments, and I confess, I got a little misty-eyed during those, yeah. but still, it wasn't a real effect to me. It was almost a science laboratory build scene, which was <laughs> Made to make you cry, and I. I know. It did not bite me enough that I would have actually cried. So I actually left the movie feeling a bit disappointed.
0: Yeah, like I said earlier, I do not believe that my emotions stem from the relationship that we see here, which has a lot of problems that could take away from its effectiveness. What I do see is the. Imagery. What I do here is the soundtrack, and like mentioned, it's just at moments it's a complete Disney magic. It works. Yeah. There is the attack of the native people to the colonists' area.
1: Or the scouting mission.
0: Yeah, in fact, it's a scouting mission. Yeah. Which is, of course, misinterpreted as an attack, probably just intentionally by Radcliffe to get the movie going.
1: Radcliffe has read the script. And the whole scouting mission, once again, it's, it's kind of a underwhelming how it goes down. Like, what happens with the colonists getting scared, seeing the natives all of a sudden, and then shooting that one misunderstood shot, which hits one of the natives in the leg, and then all hell breaks loose because of the common misunderstanding is... At first, it's typical Disney. Once again, we are going with the tropes here. It's yet another example of this film's kind of extremely problematic attitude towards the history of colonialization of America. Yeah, let's get to this beast of
0: the beast. It's still coming. Did you notice the IMDb comment that is regarded as goof in this movie that John Smith is attempting a handshake with Pocahontas? Because according to IMDB's page, uh, the handshake was not done by Englishmen in the 17th century. However, if you do a quick Google search, you already know that the earliest handshakes that we know of dates as far back as the 5th century before Christ in ancient Greece. So, did you pick up anything on this matter?
1: No, I was way too taken with the... Pocahontas even learning English language yeah that,
0: that that's <laughs> the, maybe the biggest maybe that, that the biggest is, biggest problem here if you
1: disregard the history problems that is and once again you know talking about the history problems at the original concept of this film it was meant so that Pocahontas was supposed to have to take her time to learn mm-hmm. English language it's shown in the film where she's holding a helmet, and John Smith makes the remark that that's a helmet, and Pocahontas repeats helmet. She was supposed to learn English that way in the original concepts of this film, and then once again due to studio interference from Katzenberg, it was changed into this. Uh, listening to your heart and the wind magic blowing off and all of a sudden everybody understands everyone.
0: I wish that my Polish lessons would be as easy. Just getting a wind. And <sighs> listen to your heart and you will understand.
1: Okay. <laughs> hell, what you wish? Hell, I, I would, you know, I would wish that my Swedish lessons would be that easy.
0: <laughs> what will be your title when you finish? You will be um, nomi.
1: I will be a master of arts.
0: Wow. So you can be a John Smith in real life. Master of sword arts. And
1: <laughs> Extremely hard to say. It, it comes to the fact that do I have the bloodthirstiness to be <laughs> John Smith?
0: <laughs> yeah, even in this animated film, and this guy is a bit of a douchebag. He is. I remember, I remember being quite bummed out that in Pocahontas 2 by Disney, direct to video, by the way, and has none of the artistic merits that we have here, but it pushed the John Smith completely away as the focus of the love story. And I think that, that kind of hurt the film, but at the same time, if you look at this, how this kind of a sort of a love story develops here, it's kind of on a shaky ground.
1: It is. And later on when John Smith has the change of heart, it affects also that moment and keeps also those, those sequences on a shaky ground. Because first of all, to me, the leap of faith from the moment where he's happily joining the group, remarking that how he too wants to get into this expedition to fight the savages because he can't let all the other guys have all the fun as he does in the beginning of the film. And all these remarks that, you know, there's no problem if they're like the savages I have fought before. And then you contrast that to the later parts where John Smith goes out of his way to preach to Radcliffe how these savages do not mean harm and they should come do cooperation with the savages and how they have the right to the land. You know, the contrast is extremely big. For John Smith, it all ties down to the fact that she has met Pocahontas and he really would like to poach her wow wow. <sighs> like, oh, it's... I, I can't buy that. And the second problem with John Smith's newfound conscience is the problem that now that John Smith understands that the land crap is wrong and the natives have the right the land by virtue of being their first and that they are not the good guys, John Smith still takes no guilt whatsoever about his actions in the previous New Worlds, which he also has taken part in conquering and fighting the savages in those New Worlds. Exactly. So first you pick up a fight with hundreds of
0: cultures around the world. Then you come to Virginia and Somehow, it's so magical that your eyes are getting almost out of their places when you reach it. And then, not to mention when meeting Pocahontas, which changes everything.
1: Yeah. And yet, even with that, you know, it it was completely okay, you know, fight on those hundreds of previous countries and killing all the savages there. It's no problem. Hey, I don't have to feel any guilt about that. Nah. But, but this land and these natives, you know, oh my god, yeah, yeah, these are important. Yeah,
0: yeah. Powhatan connects with different parts of his tribe to prepare for a fight against the horrible white people. Uh, John Smith, of course, runs away to kiss Pocahontas, which triggers Kokoom to do his. <laughs> and then. <laughs>
1: That that was, uh, that, that is always a hilarious scene. Coco <laughs> waving his hands and uh, running towards John Smith and then pulling a battle axe out of his ass because, you know, that's what you do. Yeah. At this moment,
0: Thomas is behind another tree, ready to fire with both eyes open, which you actually don't do when you fire a gun. Yeah. Then again, I haven't used this... Uh, is it musket? musketeer? Flintlock. Okay. John Smith is taken away as a prisoner. And Radcliffe is gathering his groups. It's time for another song. This is a uh, huge earworm. Savages, savages, or Villeja, now uh, The Finnish version has a huge problem with people who have the name Ville.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know villas are not human that that was a running joke you know back in the days when the movie came out was it <laughs> uh, well it it was in my school we had we had one villain no, nobody liked the dude he was obnoxious but back in the days and you know he got to hear how villains are not humans
0: yeah heine, so so Which, of course, leads to the moment when Pohaten is about to hit John Smith to death. But the moment of Pocahontas showing her affection to John Smith changes everything. And both the indigenous and the Englishmen lower their guns. Except, of course, Radcliffe.
1: Who just can't take the fucking hint at that point.
0: Yeah, because now he has lost all his men's support. And he still wants to shoot the leader to get to the gold, which doesn't exist. Well, Radcliffe is tied with chains and uh, about to be moved back to England to face the courts. But unfortunately, in Pocahontas 2, if you did watch that one, they kind of let Radcliffe off the hook because apparently the court or the king decided that Radcliffe was on the right here, whereas John Smith has to go on a run.
1: Okay, never watch those uh, straight to video sequels yeah uh, the quality of
0: animation drops dramatically always and for me it's distracting of course we have to see that this animated main movies from Disney are like multi million dollar they are huge productions and then okay you want to do some more Pocahontas for kids then it's unlikely that they can get such resources again for the second try I understand that. And if you compare the quality of animation in Pocahontas 2 to something else, your average animated movie, it's fine. It's fine. But doesn't hold a candle to Pocahontas. Pocahontas 2 is quite boring.
1: Yeah, I can't believe it's boring. The thing with the to video sequels is the neoliberalism that was extremely strong at Disney. During this time and in my opinion it closely ties to the around the the then CEO of the company Michael Eisner because Eisner during the 90s when he was one of the executives when he was on Paramount it was 1994 if I remember correctly he sent this letter to the executives. And where he stated that as a movie company, their mission or they have no obligation to make art, history or statements. But their obligation is to make money. And to make money, of course, he continued that to make money, they have to make a good product, good enough that it sells. And in process of making that product, they at times may end up making, you know, art or history or statements or, you know, maybe even all the three. But they are not obligated to drive the birds, making anything else except money. Wow. Yeah. And when the straight-to-video sequels came from Disney, it was during Eisner's run. When the biggest push for merchandising was going on, it was Eisner's run. There's extremely a lot, business and history-wise, behind the Disney company. And Eisner has a big part in that history. Hmm.
0: Interesting. What, what do you think about the Pixar generation of animated films? I have to say on my part that I have mostly lost my passion for animated films after it turned completely digitally animated Because something was lost in the process and it's also odd that even though they could do this digitally, the kind of a look that these older movies like Pocahontas have, they choose not to do that. Like very pronounced lines around the characters and perhaps the style of animation which could look at times more freehand. But you don't see that in the main productions anymore.
1: Hmm... It's a big talking point, actually. Yeah. You are not asking a simple question here. I'm not. I do prefer the the hand-drawn animation over computer yeah. graphics. I don't hate them maybe as much as you do. No, I didn't say that I
0: hate them, but they have lost something. Like, a lot of the soul has been lost.
1: Uh, that, I believe, is true. There is something in the hand-drawn animation that is lacking on the computer versions i'm with you on that however i do find some enjoyment even out of computer animation yeah not in the same level and sometimes different kind of enjoyment to give you an example i'm not a big fan of animation behind shrek oh yeah no for example i don't like it at all yeah and it, it has not aged well and I'm not even biggest fan of Shrek as a movie. But I do enjoy the absolute bitterness and the hatred and the maliciousness that Katzenberg has behind Shrek. Like Shrek is a mean film. It's bitter hate on animated form. And by God, do I love that. Like, to me, uh- Shrek is one of the greatest films DreamWorks has put out, not as a film, but as a testament (laughs) to one man's anger towards his former bosses. (laughs) Once again, the whole Shrek ties into Walt Disney Corporation and all the numerous infighting that went behind the closed doors. So... There, I would say, you kind of get this short glimpse on extremely hard talking point Disney is. To a point where fucking Roy Disney tried to have a coup on his own fucking company from the outside. <laughs> and, and it all ties it few <laughs> selected individuals within the company and this one time period of which Pocahontas is part of.
0: Uh, okay, let's get to the final scene. So, Radcliffe is in the chains, and at the same time, as was already established before, John Smith has taken a hit from the gunshot of Radcliffe. So, he has a gunshot wound. And now Pocahontas runs to the cliff to say her last goodbyes to John Smith. And again, the, I suppose, magic leaves take contact with John Smith, and uh, Pocahontas remains on the cliff. They do the hand gesture to say goodbye. We pull back. And once again, like the movie began, this is how it ends. The frame from the image becomes a painting. And roll credits. This is really strong. Again, in the audiovisual sense. That's what I'm talking about. But uh, as we have discussed like numerous times already here, it's one of those
1: Disney moments. What can I say? Very clichéd. It is. That's part of the cliches that Pocahontas has. And Pocahontas has cliches that had already become target of of parody before the movie came out. (laughs) So that's how much behind its times the movie is kind of with the logic behind it. Oh, yeah. So really? So people
0: were so tired of the same old Disney structure that they made parodies even before the movie was out. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Wow. (laughs)
1: And the film does the exact same stuff that people were already making
0: fun of. Business side, the film did have the largest premiere in history, apparently, at the time. I believe this was outdoors. Yeah, New York's Central Park. On June 10th, 1995, there were 100,000 people, at least, in the crowd. The movie was shown, and it was followed by a live performance from Vanessa Williams. This 100,000 was an estimation, of course. Uh, 346 million was gathered to the greedy mouth of Disney. It was still, still, still seen as a disappointment. Of course, everything is a disappointment when put against The Lion King, which was, out of this world, 968 million with that exchange rate at that time in '94. It's unbelievable.
1: It is, and you have to remember that Lion King was considered to be the lesser of the two projects. Yeah, that's funny. But then again, I myself am not that surprised about Pocahontas's poor performance because in many ways, Pocahontas has a lot of bad business making behind it. When it comes to the topics it tries to tackle. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is misunderstanding what you are doing, the movie. I think this began with the best
0: intentions, but that is certainly true if what you're saying is true about the storyboards and the script, which then changed to this malformed version, which we have on, on the screen, story wise.
1: And the malformed version is, to me, it's fascinatingly horrible example. This is hardly
0: the only Disney movie that makes historical errors, but maybe Pocahontas is the kind of a moving point where people are getting tired of this old construction and the fact that this forces the old construction at the expense of the history so much that it cannot be ignored.
1: Once again, once again, that's a fucking giant of a talking point Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because to address that we have to and we are going to yeah we have to go back to the early 90s years before pocahontas even came out and even address a country that's completely different which we do as as you know podcast hosts do not present in any way and are not part of because the whole issue behind Pakistan ties into America's relationship to its own history and I must acknowledge the fact that I'm not American I'm Finn I have no ties to America and in that sense I'm the wrong person to talk about these issues I'm also not a native and Well, Native Americans have, and Americans themselves, at least as far as I've understood, the blood quantums are a big point in defining your nationality or race. Native Americans use blood quantums to kind of uh, define is the person member of Native Americans or is he not? Yeah, here we could
0: open a huge conversation point once again but the fact that hopefully you're not saying that because we are not the natives or we are not americans so that we are not allowed to touch on this topic
1: at all i'm not saying that because i'm gonna touch the topic but i I do want to push that out there and admit it now so that we are transparent and open Mm -hmm. in this podcast and Don't give our listeners the wrong impression.
0: Yeah, and of course there is something to be an American. There is something to be a Native American. So I cannot comment on that particular point. Yeah. uh, What I hopefully can touch on is what I can read about these events and then look at them through what I would consider general moral codes that we have as humans.
1: And that's exactly the wrote that I'm taking here also. But in doing that, I of course want to admit that, you know, anything I have to say about the matter is something that our listeners maybe should take with a grain of salt, seeing how we are not... Of course,
0: there are some number of things. Well, first, there is the thing that these events happened in 1607 and after. And you have to know that there aren't enough sources to completely verify some events, of course. And you have to understand that there were some nefarious people involved in the story that were intentionally, it could be argued, trying to change the history books for their own benefit. And then there is the fact that we have also limited time in our lives. And Everybody who has to jump into such a huge thing and and has time to study it for a measle week or so. And you have to look for sources that are, of course, kind of recaps, overview of several hundreds or if not thousands of different sources. That's what we have to use instead of getting always to the primary source. Okay, but <laughs> most people probably don't care about us getting so clear in this podcast, but for me these are important things, so I just want to get it out there.
1: And with that notion...
0: With that notion shall we begin. The real story of Pocahontas.
1: Yeah, let's get the real story of Pocahontas out of the way first.
0: Okay. Go ahead. I would like to start the story from the birth of Pocahontas, born in 1596 or around that mark. and She was born as Matoaka, in fact, and her nickname might have been Pocahontas. Her mother died giving birth to her. The woman notable for her association with the like a colonial settlement at Jamestown, Virginia. Pocahontas was the daughter of course of the local Native American leader Powhatan and he was a head of network of tributary tribal nations and that encompassed like a tightwater, basically, River James area of Virginia. And in a well known historical anecdote, which we will tackle later on, she did save the life of a captive of the Native Americans, Englishman John Smith, in 1607, when she was 10 to 11 years old. And many historians do doubt the veracity of this story. We'll get back to that. But now Pocahontas is born. 1606, December. Expedition of three small ships set sail on 20th of December in 1606, headed to Virginia. They set the sail around 1606 or early 1607. During the voyage, Smith is charged with mutiny. Now, there was a plan to execute him, but there were unsealed orders from the Virginia Company, and they had designated him as one of the leaders of the new colony, and perhaps, therefore, His life was spared on the ship, from the gallows. Now, in 1607, April, Colony of Virginia is settled, and they land to Virginia. Uh, The first enduring English colony in North America founder is the Virginia Company. John Smith teaches the early settlers to farm and work. He's saving the people from early devastation. As we will later see, there was huge shortages of food. Powhatan of the natives gives food gifts for the arrivers. Cut to summer of 1607, same year. Colonists are still living in temporary housing due to swampy conditions, widespread disease, possibly contaminated water, and very limited food supplies. After the four months at sea, someone died almost every day. Continue to September 1607. Radcliffe becomes the president of the colony. He then fell out of favor of the colonists, especially during the food shortages of 1609. He was claimed of hoarding rations, and it was found that this was probably because he was trying to help his sick children. But the Powhatans, in some occurrences, did help with the food. December 1607. Pocahontas saves John Smith. So, as said, this is a well-known anecdote, questioned by many historians. At the time, Pocahontas would have been only 10 to 11 years old. Pocahontas and John Smith were never, as far as the history books can be seen, were never involved romantically. This whole account of events is disputed due to the fact that Smith had already made two earlier books about Virginia. And the earliest mention of Pocahontas saving Smith is in a publication dating to 1616. This is uh, nearly 10 years later in a letter to the queen to treat Pocahontas with dignity. There is of course the argument from Leo Limay of University of Delaware that in the first two books he was concentrating on geographical and ethnographic subjects so there was no room for personal stories. And there's that. But as far as we know this is the first moment, this publication, when we know about this event. So you could argue that John Smith simply wrote this story about Pocahontas saving him so that Pocahontas would be taken more favorably upon her arrival to the royals in London but who knows then January 1608 100 new settlers arrive and due to carelessness the village is set on fire food is low Native Americans brought some food supplies but more than half of the settlers died I believe this is the ship when Thomas arrives to Virginia so he was not on board with John Smith 1608 at some point Pocahontas saves Smith a second time when she informs the colonists that father is about to kill them. The attack then never came, possibly due to Pocahontas giving the warning beforehand. And October 1608, again 70 new settlers arrive. And clearly there's some kind of a miscommunication or some absolutely abhorrent behavior from the royals back in England because they are sending these settlers all the time without taking into account the food rations or other supplies that they have. Anyway, seventy new settlers arrive again in october sixteen oh eight, including the first woman, some German Polish Slovak craftsmen. There were a lot of attacks against not only John Smith but others. But John Smith was also attacked again in the year sixteen oh eight, and this time he was saved by two Polish craftsmen. Yay Polish. There is plotting from both Pohatan side and the colonists' side, to kill Smith, so he wasn't particularly liked at that time. Pocahontas then warns Smith. Smith calls a meeting and announces that, quote, he that will not work shall not eat, end quote. And after this, the situation improves. Uh, the settlers are working more hard. There was a lot of problems with the settlers to get to work. John Smith is going on about this in several occasions, because... Many of the people, the settlers that came there, were prestigious class people. And so for them to do some kind of work with their hands would be a shameful thing to do. <laughs> 1609, Governor Smith sends raiding parties to the Pohatan territory to demand food. And this alienates and angers the natives. They isolated the Native Americans, burned down houses and stole their food supplies. October 1609, Smith gets severely injured by an accidental explosion of gunpowder in his canoe. This is the reason he was forced to return to England. He never returned to Virginia. He did return to Americas for another voyage or two. But after escaping the captivity of French pirates off the coast of Azores, he returned to England and stayed there for the rest of his life. Okay, December 1609. Ratcliffe and 14 fellow colonists are invited to the Pohatan tribe gathering. The Pohatans promised the starving colonists to some corn, but this was simply a trap. The colonists were ambushed, and Radcliffe suffered a very, very gruesome fate. He was tied to a stake in front of a fire. A woman removed his skin from his entire body with muscle shells, then tossed the skin pieces into the flame as he watched. That's the story anyway. The facial skin was removed last, and then they finally burned him at the stake. Yeah... 1609 or 1610, around this time is the starving time of the settlers. Powhatan helps the settlers during food shortages until they started to run out of the foods themselves. So here, the colonists therefore attack the Powhatans, of course, forcing them to move their habitat. There's harsh weather, like a food and water, a swampy wilderness surrounding the colonized area, and attacks from local Indians almost destroyed the colony. The colonists continued to die then again, and with an estimated 500 surviving that winter between 1609 and 1610. May 1610, John Rolfe arrives to Virginia. John Rolfe was one of the early English settlers, the first successful cultivator of tobacco. Tobacco plays a huge role in Virginia, which kickstarts its economy. The colonists did not like the local tobacco. At the time, Spain had a virtual monopoly on tobacco trade, and then John Rolfe was somehow able to obtain the tobacco seeds called Nicotiana Tabacum, and Spain had declared the death penalty to anyone selling at least these specific seeds to any non spaniard Then John Rolfe's first wife was with her husband aboard the 3rd Supply Fleet's flagship Sea Venture when they were on their way to the Virginia. Several people died or were killed during the trip, among those were Rol's wife and his infant daughter, called Bermuda. The husband continues his trip all the way to the Jamestown colony. And on arrival at Jamestown, they found that Virginia colony almost destroyed by a famine and disease during what was known as the Starving Time, as mentioned. Uh, July 1610. Slaughtering of the Gigotans, if that's how it's pronounced. And capture of Pocahontas. This is where stuff gets confrontational as hell. Lord Delaware orders the colonial governor Thomas Gates to lure Kegutan people of the Powhatan group into a trap and slaughter them. Then there are some unconfirmed rumors that Pocahontas's first marriage was, in fact, to Kokoom and that they would have had a child Kaoki. But all is just, as far as I could find, it was just stories carried on by the native americans. Uh, 1612 john smith writes a best-selling account of pocahontas as a grown-up and his love interest and if this actually happened it's all lies because she wasn't grown-up apparently there was a part where he mentioned that the tribe was asking from smith for sexual favors during a dance so you get the idea. 1613 the english then capture pocahontas the daughter of They use her to trade captured English and their seized weapons for Pocahontas and a lasting peace. According to, again, some unconfirmed sources, Cocoaum was killed during Pocahontas captured by the English. During her captivity, Pocahontas learned the English language, English customs and religion. Later, when the opportunity was presented to her, she decided not to return to her tribe. She chose to remain with the English. Pohatan returned the prisoners, but failed to satisfy the colonists with the number of weapons and tools he returned back to them. Therefore, a long standoff again, during which English kept Pocahontas captive for some time. 1613, Pocahontas becomes a Christian. Anglican uh, theologian Alexander Whitaker uh, converted Pocahontas to Christianity and renamed her Rebecca during her baptism. Then in March 1614. A violent confrontation again. English allowed Pocahontas to go talk with her father and reportedly rebuked him for valuing her quote, less than old swords, pieces or axes and that she preferred to live with the English who quote loved her. Hmm. This sounds like a, some sort of a Stockholm Syndrome. What do you think?
1: Could be. Hard to say because Stockholm Syndrome is uh, such a kind of worms. Yeah, it is. I'm not venturing there yet. With light hearts. Yeah.
0: The fact of the matter is, anyway, that Pocahontas was captured for at least over a year. And during that time, it seems that her head has been turned completely towards the English world. Then in April 1614, Pocahontas, age 17, marries John Rolfe. This is either some kind of a Stockholm Syndrome type of thing or mutual agreement between Pocahontas and John Rolfe to create lasting peace under the challenging circumstances. Uh, Rolfe did write about marrying Pocahontas, saying, quote, Not with the unbridled desire of carnal affection, but for the good of the colony and the glory of God. Such a marriage might bring peace between the warring English and the Powhatan just as it would satisfy Pocahontas' desire. End quote so at the end he, he's talking about there being desire anyway well we don't know about this guy really can he be trusted the story continues the marriage creates a powerful peaceful climate between the colonists and Powhatan tribes Powhatan actually gives the couple a property around Virginia thousands of acres just across the James River from Jamestown however they did not ever even live there I suppose it was completely unused, though that's a nice gesture on their part. Instead, they lived on Rolf's own property in Varina Farms. 1615 January, son of Pocahontas is born. Rolf and Pocahontas have a son, Thomas, January 30th, 1615. And on the same year, Pocahontas travels to England, and their son Thomas is taken with them, infant son, to travel to England on the treasure in 1650, Pocahontas was widely received as some kind of a visiting royalty level type of person. The Rolfs were also accompanied by Pohatan's holy man called Tomokomo. So Tomokomo was sent to England to count the number of people in England and to see if John Smith was still alive after the gunpowder incident. And judging from these instructions, the chief Pohatan seems to have been uh, deeply affected by Smith's rumored death. This is another indication of the positive relationship that they had at some point. If their associations were as Smith depicted them in the general history, the book that he wrote, then Powhatan would not have been much concerned about his absence or death. The royal family settled in Brentford. You have to kind of wonder when you're reading all this stuff, that was Pocahontas just simply used merely as the colony's marketing tool in England to get a favorable Uh, image of the colony.
1: That would not necessarily be completely out of the picture.
0: Yeah, yeah. 1616, once again, John Smith publishes a written propaganda work called A Description of New England to coax Englishmen to migrate to the New World. Okay, that kind of fits with the 1615 of Pocahontas arriving to England. 1616, once again, John Smith publicizes his story of Pocahontas saving him back in 1607 when she was 10, 11 years old in a Letter to the Queen. In early 1617 uh, Smith met the couple, Rulf and Pocahontas, and later wrote that when Pocahontas saw him, quote, without any words, she turned about, obscured her face as not seeming well contented, end quote. Pocahontas was left alone for three hours. Later they spoke more. Smith's recollection or record of what she said to him is fragmentary and enigmatic. She reminded him of the courtesies she had done, saying you did promise Pohotan what was yours would be his, and he the like to you, uh, She then discomfited him by calling him father, explaining Smith had called Pohotan father before when a stranger in Virginia, so they should have mutually called each other fathers. Uh, Smith did not accept this form of address because he wrote that Pocahontas outranked him as she was, quote, a king's daughter. Pocahontas then said that some more bullshit. She doesn't like what she's hearing. Finally, Pocahontas told Smith that she and her fellow Native Americans had thought him dead, but her father had told Tomokomo to seek him because the countrymen, quote, will lie much. That's probably true. One accurate part of this story for sure. Once again, in 1617, the unfortunate thing happens. Pocahontas dies at the age of 20 or 21. Uh, the couple planned to return to Virginia that year, and they were already on their way back to Virginia. But as the ship had sailed only to Gravesend section of the river Thames, Pocahontas became gravely ill. Uh, she was taken ashore, and she died. According to Rolf, she died, saying, quote, all must die, but this enough that her child liveth, end quote. Well, who knows if that's true or not. Uh, the two-year-old son Thomas was then mainly fostered by John Rolf's brother Henry. Sixteen seventeen, uh, Anglican theologian Alexander Whitaker drowns while crossing the James River. Dumbass. Uh, April sixteen eighteen, Powhatan dies. Powhatan died in April uh, sixteen eighteen. His successor became the Opchanaganu. Then we jump to sixteen nineteen. Rolf marries for the third time, uh, Jane Piers a daughter of an English colonist. They had a daughter, Rolf's uh, third child from the third marriage. Uh, March 1622, anglo done War, and now it's definitely full-on war, because the new confederacy leader that took the place of Powhatan, this Op- uh, Op-chanakanu, launches a campaign of surprise attacks, and at least 31 English settlements and plantations, mostly along the James River. Jamestown was saved, by the forewarning of a young Indian who lived in the settlement. The war was probably inevitable, since it could have also been triggered because of the tobacco economy, which kept growing the settlement further and further in the land. It led to constant expansion and seizure of Powhatan lands, not forgetting the brutal violence faced by both. Then, same year, 1622, Rolf dies. 1624, John Smith releases another book, the most famous one, the General History. There he compares chief Powhatan to the devil, hmm, and refers to the Native Americans as barbarians. However, this is in complete contrast to what he has said in the letters between Smith and Powhatan, where you can see mutual respect and understanding between them. Other people's accounts on Smith also mention him being kind of kind and humanitarian towards the natives. Uh, Smith's own past as a commoner allowed him to sympathize with the natives, and he believed that they were not inferior to the whites, but just at a different stage of civilization. And um, in 1631, John Smith dies at the age of 51 in London, UK. So, to wrap this up, in other words, as Sophie Gilbert of The Atlantic did write, quote, The movie might have fudged some... <laughs> facts, but that this allowed it to tell a compelling romantic story. Or, as animator Tom Sito put it, defending the film's relationship to history, saying, quote, contrary to the popular verdict that we ignored history on the film, <laughs> we tried hard to be historically correct <laughs> and to accurately portray the culture of the Virginia Algonquins, quote. Roll credits of real-life story
1: of Pocahontas. And with those quotes, I kind of uh, myself also arrive into the main issue I have with Pocahontas, which ties into the America's systematical goal of trying to rewrite the history of the colonialization of America. And the fact that this film on its own part, plays a role in forcing the preferred narrative of how the colonialization went. As far as I've understood the American educational system, for the largest part, tries to swipe under the rug how the colonialization went. And most of the nasty parts of that time, the massacres small box blankets and all of that stuff. Yeah, just to the film's defense, at
0: least it is showing uh, the Englishmen on the correct side of the story, as the actual savages.
1: Except that it does not. It, yeah. it, it does the opposite. I mean... Uh, I don't, no, I...
0: Well, it, it, it grants that the Whites are there to cause a conflict, which creates the shitstorm of taking John Smith back. I mean, in that sense, and it takes mention of the nature being an important part here. Things like that. In my opinion, it does not do that. Well, it definitely it paints
1: the natives in a better light than the Englishmen. No, it doesn't. How so? During the 90s, the, the American consumer market finally wised up to the fact that the founding of America was pretty horrendous time for the natives and that the natives really got the short end of the stick. At that point, the historical evidence was too overwhelming to actually outright deny anymore. And during that time, there was a strong push, especially on film, to try to control the narrative of the colonialization by portraying it in a certain light. Like the typical narrative that the films of this time period wanted to tell was that the natives all lived as hippies in harmony with nature and that there were these good white people who came to the land simply because they wanted to live free and help the natives to defend themselves against the bad white people who came there just because they like money and wanted to, to grab a land more than the good white people did. And this is this is kind of the history you get in the films like Dances with the Wolves, The Last of the Mohicans, The Pathfinder and in here in Pocahontas where the story goes that well uh, the whites came to the land because yeah they wanted to find some goat but their intentions were pure. It was all a big misunderstanding that was caused by the one fat in the group <laughs> who's behind all the trouble. It, basically, it was it was just misunderstandings, the whole fucking stuff. That there was no yeah. la- in- enormous land crap. Yeah. Nobody used smallpox. There was no actual massacre. There was gonna be one, one massacre, one big fight. But yeah, we prevented also that. So in the end, in the version that Pocahontas also tells us, because they wanted to be free. And there yeah, sure there were some tensions at first. But hey, hey, look also also the natives are singing the savages, savages song. They so that they also were kind of jerks here. So it's not either side, side is truly at fault here. And in the yeah. end, you know, there was complete peace. They found, you know, the common land. And what reservoirs? I guess the natives moved into the reservoirs simply because, I don't know, Grandmother Willow gave them all the big speech that if they do it now and spend few decades in living in those conditions, they eventually will get the casino rights. Once again moved from the Las Vegas. I agree. They
0: should have made it
1: more clear
0: what kind of faults were done. Mostly, really... From the aggressor side That we can see as the primary And almost sole aggression side As far as I have read About this whole colonization Of course there were angry Like responses to the attacks And the behavior of the Englishmen Like these sudden ambushes Of the Native Americans But hey, you know You could go on and on here. If you start to do a movie about historical events and you don't have any intention to get the history right, then you're screwed. There might be even unintentional moments like this. For example, like you said, that the Native Americans and the to-be-Americans are kind of, like you said, equal at the end, where they kind of understand each other and they both have done some wrong deeds. Uh, yeah. Of course, that's the intention of the film, to draw a story. Of course, this could be also sort of like an unintentional moment where you have already fucked up the history. And once you have done that and you change the story, then you have moments like this. Somebody can notice more small details like, hey, you can absolutely not do that. And it just flies past the brains of the executives.
1: I actually am on the other side of that argument. They, they had Russell Meads amongst their ranks, Native American consorts. The way how the colonialization is portrayed in Pocahontas, it's so completely removed from the known history of how it actually went. Yeah, And tying that into the whole 90s Hollywood trying to retell their version of founding of America, I would say that Pocahontas... Doing the colonialization story as hamfisted as it does is actually intentional. They meant that. What may be an accident is the oversexualization of Pocahontas, which also is a huge problem from this movie's part because that, on the other hand, ties into this age-old trick of the aggressor of creating this myth of an extremely sexual native. Mm-hmm. Who was originally at that
0: time, if we compare, 10 or 11.
1: Yeah, and which also has the problematic element that it partly plays into sexual violence committed towards the native woman even today. I came across of this Department of Justice's study, which covered over 2,000 Native American women okay. who were survived for the study. And they found out that it was concluded in the Native American and Alaskan Native women. And okay, yeah, the group was only 2,000. So I believe that the real figures are even more horrendous. But from these 2,000, 84% of the women had experienced violence 56 percent had experienced sexual violence meaning rape
0: and since you brought it up the subject of rape there is was like a book there has been a mention that pocahontas might have been also raped during her captivity
1: yeah it could be
0: yeah but it's unconfirmed when you read about it, the, the sense that I get is that the story could have been even murkier than it seems on the surface level. Of course, Pocahontas was really young. Like, when John Rolfe met her, she could have been a. Uh, when did John Rolfe arrive? 1608, right? So at that, yeah. that, that time, she was like 12 ish. And then they capture her years later. She's maybe max 15. And then they marry him when she's 17. Then they take her to England. And the whole marriage thing, it seems like just like a compromise to keep the peace. They take her to England, I think just to what I've said before, to to convince people to come to Virginia to build the colony. And then she suddenly dies. That's probably just a
1: freak accident. But um, I smell a rat. Same here. Even though I can't prove it in any way But yeah, it does sound fizzy
0: Yeah, but as we can see This whole story is completely fascinating And was a pleasure to read Easy to read And Pocahontas, the animated movie Is actually one of very various Pocahontas related movies There's at least five or six in total And we have our old friend Roger Ebert (laughs) Are you ready? Here we go again. Uh, writing for the Chicago Sun-Times, he gave the film three out of four. He said that it's the best looking of the modern Disney animated features. Yeah, okay. And one of the more thoughtful.
1: What the actual fuck?
0: Yeah, one of the more thoughtful.
1: Like that. That's something I would have actually expected Iber to take a different side.
0: I was expecting him to give like zero out of four or something
1: yeah
0: I guess he just means the portrayal of natives that I would still argue is a better representation in many ways than the colonists.
1: I really don't see the difference in in no fucking way. The, the troubling parts of the colonists are entirely tied into the character of the character of Radcliffe. He's at fault at basically anything that goes wrong from the colonist part. Also, John Smith is talking about savages. He's talking about savages, but his actions actually... In the end. Do not cause any harm at any point. He almost shoots Pocahontas on the first meeting, but that leads into nothing except this groundbreaking romance we get. He has a complete change of heart, and he goes against Radcliffe, who is the only one actively pushing... Systematic violence towards the natives. But if
0: you think of Radcliffe, he is still a representation of the settlers. And he, what, what John Smith has said aboard the ship before they arrive in sixteen o six, he would kill. He would kill a native two or three. And talking about his trips,
1: Radcliffe more than the settlers is presentation of the crown. Mm. He presents King James the First and not completely even him because the movie kind of makes the point that King James the First is not on the map or what kind of a person Radcliffe is and not on what is going to happen once the settlers arrive. And uh, I would make the case that not even completely about the situation in general.
0: I think the natives w- win this round. At the moment when Pocahontas comes in front of her father to chop the execution of John Smith, we could make the argument that John Smith would do the same in the vice versa situation.
1: As he does, pretty much in right in the next scene.
0: God damn, you're right. Yeah, and changing the tables here natives approaching a settler, and the native man taking like the approaching role. To build a relationship. Hmm. I don't know. That's a thought processing for another episode. Maybe this does objectify. And definitely does sexualize a member of the natives. Yeah. It's a... You know, you, you
1: have brought a solid argument. It could be considered a draw. I read it so that the film makes the argument that it was a draw. Yeah. And uh,
0: one of the most more troubling aspects... For this film's structure, at least for anyone who knows anything at all about general history, is the fact that the movie ends at the moment when John Smith is taken aboard the ship and they leave. And that's supposed to be like the happy ending. But we all know what happened after this. Well, they came came back and it continued.
1: And that I can kind of... uh, With that... I say that that's completely calculated move from Disney's part. That's no accident.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, the sexualization may have been just uh, a stupid decision that was created mm. so that they can sell more Barbie dolls. But rewriting of the history and trying to sweep the whole thing under the rug, that's, that's done on purpose. And even the accidental i hope sexualization like i said that's not unproblematic either because of the high rape statistics that are even today actually going on i could make the argument that the filmmakers didn't have a clue about it i of course i wanna believe that that's the case but at the same time they had native americans on their staff both as giving voice work
0: However, Poca- Pocahontas was never raped here, and she's adult still.
1: Mm. But I would make the argument that Disney had ample of opportunities to hear straight from the source of our Native American presentation what the effect of this sexualized Native stereotype has on the actual Native American woman. Maybe
0: the, the reason why I also think that the Native Americans win this round in some way is because they are like represented being closer to nature, basically being like innocent people up until to the moment of savage song.
1: Well, at least they can, you know, find the spirits within the rocks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, as Pocahontas herself shows. Well, it's a visual, artistic interpretation
0: of their
1: beliefs at the time. It's a hippie stereotype created by white men who have lived on a land that originally belonged to someone else and to which their ancestors came by force. That's what it is. My
0: main problem is perhaps that they are not represented anywhere in a more like grounded way, like normal human beings. They always have this, you know, this... We are still talking about the supernatural flavor, and we just got out of it. I thought so, at least. But even if this movie kind of carves its own path, ignoring much of the history here, I cannot ignore, at the very least, the beautiful visuals. And there's a lot to criticize as far as the history, but the movie still is, on its own, strong as a story. But since it is tied with the history, it is really uh, splitting the brain a bit. Well, it could be a great movie if you could leave the historical baggage behind. This is a major oversight on Disney. This is different than, like, say, Beauty of the Beast. Beauty of the Beast is based on, a, I believe, 18th century story. Like a fairy
1: tale. Here it's something else. going. Pocahontas' story is weak even without without the historical inaccuracies. I mean, I'm often the first to call out a movie when it gets
0: the history wrong. And I should. And I am calling Pocahontas on the history. However, in some level, I, I forgive because of the masterful execution of Thiel. It's like basically like dancing this movie through and throughout. And again, I'm talking simply on a Audiovisual pleasure level.
1: Now, the visual wise, the movie takes quite a many shortcuts. There are a bunch of scenes where the visuals are not that impressive. One example is that the movie does use a lot of close ups of Radcliffe's face. I personally feel, for example, that Radcliffe's face has been drawn way too simplistically. It's basically One third of our entire head is his nose. Yeah. And then quickly few lines. Stylistic decisions. Yeah, then quickly few lines of, you know, other facial features. And that's what we get. Yeah, the
0: liney features. It's every character has this thing. Cocoaume also doesn't have, he has chest, but he doesn't have nipples.
1: At some scenes, Pocahontas has some kind of incredible lazy eye. Or something like that. Like there are close-ups on Pocahontas's face. For example, the moment when she's looking upward, something and the eyes are wonky as hell.
0: I noticed there was wonkiness in the in one frame. She looks like uh, kind of flat in the facial features, or even angry, or some alien features come there for a moment in the eye area, and then in the next she's a uh, uh, the normal hunters again.
1: And John Smith suffers the same fate, except in his case, that's mostly present when he's drawn from the side. For example, around 38 minutes and 40 seconds, there is one of the infamous side view shots of John Smith and boy, does the man look weak. At the same time, I have to confess that those are individual scenes. And there is extremely strong visuals in Pocahontas as well.
0: Those are individual scenes. My favorite like artistic scene, I would say, is, well, it's the one that is separate from the rest of the visuality of that sequence, or the whole movie, in fact. When Pocahontas during Colors of the Wind is shown as... Part of a live animation painting, basically. It seems like she has become kind of... She appears as some kind of icon. Live, moving painting. And uh, I believe there are leaves around her at the time. What's your favorite kill?
1: I I would have to say uh, it's Coco. The only bastard who dies here on this film.
0: Uh, I would immediately contradict with you. And... I would say my favorite is the Cocoom kill.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I completely forgot that one scene where Cocoom dies. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, that that's what you get with amateur co hosts. My favorite scene is Colors of the Wind. The whole scene? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. I, on my part, I would pick after the Savages, Savages song, when there's the noon, when the colonialists start their march to attack the natives and very beginning of that scene there is shown the sunrise on the background and then there is that three-cut close-up to Radcliffe's face (coughs) and followed right after that by that side shot of Radcliffe pulling his sword out. I would call that as my favorite scene because I think it's one of the most clever moments addressing the colonialization and the treatment of the natives altogether. Because the way Radcliffe and his hand and all of those have been drawn is very close to the old cliché Aztec drawings of the Spaniards. Which you see in, for example, in the movie road to Eldorado, where there's the mural that shows the Spaniard soldier, and the way Radcliffe is drawn on this scene is is surprisingly close to those mural drawings okay,
0: very thorough. How did you see the pacing you You thought that it was boring,
1: right The, the problem is not so much the pacing. Uh, the, this is a movie that still goes on at relatively good pace. Uh, the problem I had and the reason why I found it boring was that to me there just is not enough story. Yeah, I
0: like the pacing regardless of the recycled themes throughout.
1: Yeah, uh, and I I can completely see that. It's very dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 constantly active, so in that sense, it's not at fault here. The pacing is good. Did you have any favorite quotes? I guess the choruses from the songs, from the Finnish version. Sä kuuletko jo Yeah. For example, that's a great quote. And something Ilveskissa naurahtaa. Yeah, also. And Villeja Villeja. <laughs> That although also works extremely well in its English form. Savages, Savages. I myself, I confess, I don't I do not know what's behind the river band, but I do know what's not, and that's an Oscar nomination.
0: Oh yeah. I wanted to say that some of these lyrics are very cheesy and they don't make any sense. Like can you draw with the
1: colours of the wind? In the English form, it went like, Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? Very dull and Which also makes no sense because neither one of them is a painter.
0: Well, the both of them don't make any sense really, but it sounds good.
1: That, that it does, that it does.
0: Mm, my favorite quote is the ending of the river band song. Like I mentioned earlier. Should I choose the smoothest course, steady as the beating rum, and is all my dreaming at an end, or do you still wait for me, dream giver, just around the riverbend?
1: And with what you've told about your personal relationship to those lines, you know, hey, godspeed. It is, with all the negative I have to say about Pocahontas, I still like the fact that people have strong connections to this film even though I can't understand why but you know th- those connections are humane and they are important even though I'm too stubborn to understand them myself maybe but they still matter because the people who have those connections matter and in that sense I'm I'm happy for you I'm I'm happy that you found that connection with those lines and that they are so important to you and you know i i do admit
0: that where i do watch this movie for the first time in 2018 i would probably have a completely different narrative going on here you know as we have seen before what we like about films it has so much to do with personal experience with that movie when did you watch it in what kind of a mindset Maybe where did you watch it? Why did you watch it? And as we know, this is not a logical decision in many ways. But due to the, yes, emotional feeling that it manages to get out of me, especially with quotes like this, that's why I'm on
1: board. So you are finally willing to let go with your need to find only rationality in your life and approach everything (laughs) rationally? And admit that there in fact is some merit to feelings and emotions.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not saying that they are meaningless in the way that you feel them. And they, they can definitely change the course of your life for better or worse. And maybe that is the problem with it. And it is. Because again, this is not rational. But I do find value in some of my irrational choices right here. Henrik... It's review time. Would you recommend Pocahontas?
1: I would not. Even if you would forgive it, trying to retell the history of colonialization of America, even if you would forgive it, the fact that it tries to give you this impression that nothing bad happened during the colonialization and it was equal parts the natives and the colonialists who were at fault here. Even if I would not notice the sexualization of Pocahontas and with that had to acknowledge rape statistics and part that these kind of overly sexual stereotypes do play in those statistics. You know, removing all that and simply watching this as a film with no package, I would not recommend Pocahontas. Because in its core, it's typical Disney going through all the Disney tropes. And to be honest, it's it's boring. It it's you, you get your Romeo and Juliet storyline and and pretty much nothing else except you know some tree talking on Colors of the Wind and, and bunch of natives and that's all you get story-wise it's an hour and 17 minutes long and thank god it's not longer than that because there's barely material even for that okay okay i for one did not see
0: the problems that you see in as far as the repetition is you know this is to be expected from disney of course when i saw this as a kid i didn't care or understand such concepts that they keep repeating the same old, you know, structure there in that way, on that level. Now, of course, I can see, but it's still not distracting because the setting, the characters are interesting enough still for me to definitely care about them. I'm, of course, doing a lot of forgiving here. I understand that this was, of course, a pretty historic movie by just the virtue of... Showing the Englishmen Being the actual savages in a certain sense Ending, as you mentioned In a sort of a draw situation But as I've said a million times Visually, artistically This movie is just way too enjoyable It's way too well executed It has many shortcomings In the pre-production But the key components why this movie still wins In the end is It's uh Certain overcoming uh, the fear of the unknown The thematic that they went with to this project Uh, Seeing humanity in all That's an important theme for the kids Likeable characters, like I said uh, Smooth pacing And beyond fantastic soundtrack For the most part And once again The stunning artistic merits So I just uh, i feel horrible about it Cause I'm the one that wants to get the history straight. But it's just too good for me to say no. So I say yes, I would I would give one Bohatan feather for this movie.
1: To me this is a corporate machine.
0: It is. The I movie, grant. In many ways it is. Yes. Well it's been an interesting ride. This is the last episode that I will record from Poland. But in closing I would like to thank all of the feedback and the listeners. It really helps the feedback spiritually. It, it really does. We put in the hours to the podcast, and it's always good to know if it's working out for you all. Or maybe it isn't. So please feel free to send any feedback. We definitely have in our opinion some real good stuff ready for you next week. So to stay informed on that, I would advise to go follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and All that stuff. Henrik, are we kind of finished with this supernatural uh, history story?
1: I believe we are. Okay. Is the story finished with us that I do not yet know? And we do hope that you keep in touch
0: with us and keep the discussion going if you have anything to say.
1: (laughs) That's a dangerous wish. (laughs) You know... It just might be that our dear listeners have tons of things to say and none of them very pleasant for us. You're <laughs> wow. playing with fire there. Well, then, keep your comments to yourself.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah, uh... I- I-
1: if you have nice things to say, please let us hear them. If you have not, I'll keep your mouth shut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But everything constructive Hopefully as constructive And hopefully as cohesive As we have tried to do right here Other than that I've been Curry,
1: And you have been Henrik I believe I'm not sure anymore <laughs> I, I take your word for it Let's go with that
0: With that said Until next week Dear listeners Until next week kuin linjoilla. Pekka Sauri. Ollaan jo. And definitely does sexualize. sexualize. Hundred
1: new, se- new settlers arrive. Rottakliffi. Tuota, tuota. Audasity kaatu. Joten otetaan tauko. No, sekin John?
0: Kaikki on John. Joku poliisi tulee taas kohta sanoa, että ei se näin mennyt. No niin,